Welcome to The Archetypist. The only analytics-based genre fiction podcast. I'm Kathleen. I'm Jacob. In today's episode, we're going to be kicking off Cycle 1 science fiction. Uh, So in this episode, we are just setting the stage for the genre before we dive into five masterpiece books. So sit back, relax, and get ready for The Archetypist Episode 2, Science Fiction Cycle, an intro to science fiction. So Kathleen, you are writing a sci-fi novel right now. I am. I'm uh, more specifically writing a cyberpunk novel right now. And how far are you in that process? Um, So I've done the first draft, uh, which took me about 200 days uh, to write almost 200,000 words. So that was pretty good progress considering what was going on. Um, So right now, I'm just reading through it, uh, about halfway through reading through it, and I think I read the good half. Now I'm going on to, we'll just call it the second half. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the ending, I, I don't think I've ever written an ending that I liked on the first try. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. Unless you were to write it first. Maybe you could try that next time. No, then I just hate the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we've known each other for a long time. And for most of our friendship, you've been writing fantasy. There was the monster killer one. Um, there was an, like an apocalyptic sort of horror SF yeah. thing. In this book in particular, why did you choose science fiction? And since writing the novel, do you like it still? Do I like my novel still? Do I like science no, fiction? No, science fiction. You think you'd write a second. <laughs> you go through waves of, of, of liking the novel and not. Um, you know, it's, it's a really good learning experience because I think the reason that I'm writing this book is because I'm very much inspired by the natural world, but I always want to escalate things and run with my imagination. So I I want to find those pieces of the way the world is changing and really like expand on them to really capture people's imagination, but it still hits home and and feels really close to home. Like, you know, it's, it's a little bit disturbing. It's a little bit fascinating. And I think like with science fiction, um, the it's a little bit different than fantasy because like the rules are there for you to change but you also are working very intimately with things that people know i mean people have an emotional attachment to their cell phone you know what i mean because like you have it with you like you sleep with it Mm. it's so interesting if, if if you think about it so it's just like finding those specific ways in like the way that the world is changing and just like really exploring them has become very attractive to me And it's really interesting, I think, to see how broad the genre is. Um, I mean, I'm just thinking about books like Marvel could be classified science fiction, but so could like Gideon the Ninth. Um, And what's interesting about sci-fi is that it can be super broad, like Gideon, where it's like, you know, we're pulling in all many different ideas and things and inviting things that are new and, you know, has some fantasy elements as well. But then in the same genre, you have things that are also incredibly niche. Um, So one book that we're going to read is recursion which is like very specific about um you know memory and whether memory is is related to time and and just different things like that um the martian will also read um is very specific about like can people survive on mars so it's it's very wide and very niche at the same time and it's just there's so much like fits in it and it's just so fascinating so that's 
my long answer to your short question. So I guess I, I have I have two I have two comments to follow up here. So the first is that for me, science fiction has always seemed really limiting because you can't introduce like an object of the supernatural or anything or or you can't introduce like a whole new world. So, I mean, I suppose you could if you if you advance time far enough. But to you, like working within the natural world and our current reality is something that's more freeing to you, I guess. Is what you're saying. Yeah, it really is. I mean, before we you know sat down together, I nerded really hard and I read a lot of articles about, you know, the definition of, of science fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's uh, it's a genre that's evolved a lot in a short period of time. Um, and I would say that it's, it's not limiting because it's, it's kind of like the multiverse, like, you know, um, because you can't even define science fiction as fiction about the future or where technology is taking us. Because also within science fiction, you have alternate history, um, you have alternate reality, you know, you can build a whole fantasy esque world because it's another planet where, you know, the laws of gravity are different. Um, and it's not necessarily related to our timeline at all. So in that sense, you can have like some second world science fiction books that that kind of feel like fantasy. Um, but I'm even getting a little bit ahead of myself in, in terms of well, how do you define the science fiction? You know, so when I was reading it's interesting because I really couldn't find a definition. Yeah. Um, and of course, you know, every legendary master of the craft, you know, has has tried to come up with one. Um, one that I thought was really close. This is from J.O. Bailey in 1947. He said that science fiction is a narrative of an imaginary invention or discovery in the natural sciences. That sounds wildly pretentious. Yeah, it, it kind of <laughs> does. Um, it, it fits, you know, it's it, it's a way to approach our world if it were a little different. And I think that's what is appealing to me because I always start with my own experiences and my own imagination. Um, but I think that the road that um, we definitely are not going down as a genre and, and as authors in the genre is... Um, it's not at all similar to the original um, kind of golden age of yeah, science fiction, um, where it was more literal about like, you know, here's the inventions that we're creating and how our life will be different now that we've in- invented them. I have another equally pretentious quote from uh, Robert Heinlein, where he says that when you're writing science fiction, no established fact shall be violated. And furthermore, when the story requires that a theory contrary to present accepted theory be used, the new theory should be rendered reasonably plausible, and it must include and explain established facts as satisfactorily as the one the author saw fit to junk. So that kind of reminds me of Sanderson's first law, which in much more plain terms (laughs) (laughs) says something like your ability to solve a problem with magic is directly proportional to the reader's understanding of the magic system. Mm -hmm. Is that kind of what he's saying there for science fiction? Um, It it is, but I think it's, it's more literal in the sense that like, if you're going to break a rule, you have to explain why and how you did it. And like, there has to be like this shared understanding. So I think like if you'll take Sanderson's definition and use it for magic for science fiction, you have to start with things that the reader understands or very carefully explain to the reader how these things work. So, you know, we'll talk a little bit about stories of your life by Ted Chiang and, and how there's 
um, some really interesting like descriptions of physics in yeah. the book and, and how he, he brings them into, you know, the different things that happen in the story. But I think, you know, the key difference um, when you're trying to define like, you know, what is science fiction versus what is fantasy? Because clearly we can recognize the books which have speculative elements, yeah. you know, for a lot of conventions, a lot of bookstores, even they might put science fiction and fantasy together. But I think when you're trying to make them distinct from one another, um, what you see is as being different, which ones are sci-fi, which ones are fantasy. Maybe if you were to literally split them, the ones where you start with presumed knowledge that the reader has about the way the natural world works. Yeah. So like I've heard some people even describe like Mistborn as like sci-fi because they burn metals and we like understand that, oh, that metal has this property. So you know, it's clearly science fantasy to some extent, but you see where like the different principles come into play. I can see that. And Sanderson has kind of gotten a little bit, um, I don't want to say he's gotten, gotten knocked, but there's, there's certainly a reactionist movement in the genre against him saying like, you've lost like the mysticism of, of fantasy and like, well, I personally enjoy reading a Sanderson book. Like I can kind of see where you try to quantify every little bit about the magic system. It becomes more of a science system and trying to manipulate physics rather than like Neil Gaiman-esque novels where it's like, it's much more like soft fantasy where we're not really sure why this magic is happening. It just does. Or at least there's a very like um, deep story around the magic is happening, which is where you can say, you know, the speculative elements from fantasy will come from myth, whereas from science fiction, they come from, you know, an escalation of our understanding of the current world. Perfect. Um, you know, um, as you, you know, kind of get too deep into this conversation of distinguishing science fiction from fantasy, um, you run into everyone's favorite Arthur C. Clarke quote, which is any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Yeah. So we've... <laughs> You know, you kind of come full circle with that. I think when you're distinguishing the two genres, what stands out the most is the aesthetic. Yeah. Um, a fantasy book, when you're reading it, maybe you can't even describe why, but it feels like a fantasy book and a sci-fi book feels like a sci-fi book. And contemporary sci-fi has just ballooned, like exponentially grown into, you know, the reach of the genre. And there's so many sub-genres beneath sure. it um, that if you say, oh, I'm writing a sci-fi novel that tells you a few high level things about the book, but almost not enough to market it to a reader. Yeah. I mean, a book like Ancillary Justice and uh, Neuromancer, I mean, it might as well be two distinct genres. And they both have AI in them too, even yeah. at that point, you know, but they're just so radically different books. So the one thing that, that I, I seem to kind of be running into with, with the definition of science fiction is science fiction is, is at least in my experience, is more focused on high concepts and the consequences of technology and I think that a good definition of that sort of theme in science fiction is is exploring like just because we can doesn't mean we should. Oh, that's Jurassic Park. Yeah. Whereas as fantasy is is more focused on the personal narrative and the quest and obtaining mm -hmm. power and victory and that sort of thing. Yeah. Where I, I found science fiction to be much more like the average person's reaction to the advance of technology, at least yeah. in some of the books I've read. That's interesting because you've actually kind of come full circle to an Asimov definition of science fiction where he says that science fiction can be defined as that branch of literature which deals with the reaction of human beings to changes in science and technology. Yeah. Um, and there's actually a debate um, about um, science fiction and maybe it's, you know, why science fiction will be seen as, you know, less um, prestigious as of a genre than, you know, some literary genres. And even... Wait a second. I think that science fiction at least in my opinion, at least in my experience, is the most respected of genre fiction because horror is like got its its own own baggage and fantasy. 
everyone just thinks you're trying to write a new Lord of the Rings. But for me, I've noticed that like, especially in short stories, science fiction is viewed more literarily than the other speculative genres. I think that's been the cultural trend, but like we've all known for years, like Margaret Atwood denied that she was writing science fiction, but now she's kind of more she accepted was it. the grandmother of the... Yeah, exactly, exactly. Even though she was like, you know, so foundational to shaping it. But I think like, you know, there was, I think, a like blasters and aliens like association with the term science fiction and that just like you know the it hadn't like matured enough for people to start realizing that this term like kind of like touches on a lot of the like social commentary that we like really use it for now um i was going to reference um specifically in terms of like you know are we exploring character like you were mentioning um in science fiction, I was going to mention um, uh, Ursula K. Le Guin's essay, Science Fiction of Mrs. Brown. Um, Great fantasist, too, by the I, way. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, she's really a master um, where, you know, she really kind of explores this idea of whether or not there are it's possible to have a good character in science fiction, because as, as you're saying, like you're really exploring this theoretical like, well, you know, what what is the world and how is it changing? And, um, you know, are you able to tell a story about a person or are you telling a story about humanity? And I think it just depends on the type of science fiction book, because if you read Canticle for Leibowitz, this is a story about humanity. It's very personal. Yeah. yeah but if you read N.K. Jemisin, like Broken Earth is about person, um, you know, and it's got like but of course, any book about a person is going to have like, you know, themes um, that we relate to. And, and so, like, in a sense, kind of every book is about humanity. Um, but <laughs> when you're looking at, you know, hopefully, but when you're looking at, like, you know, these, um, like, personal journeys of, of an individual that gives you a window into, you know, a different life experience than your own, which is why, you know, I think people who read tend to be more empathetic. Um, but like you mentioned earlier, um, interstellar and it's, it's really a story about, it's a story about traveling to a new galaxy, but it's a story about family yeah. really. And this man and his relationship to his family Matthew and McConaughey crying a bit. That's exactly. pretty, pretty much the story. <laughs> yeah. And, and stories of your life, um, is it's, it's really about, you know, a woman's relationship with her daughter and about growing up in time and what that means and experiencing it all at once. Like, it's yeah. just like, it, it's, it's, it's almost like you can't write about humanity without writing about individuals. I saw so much similarity between stories of your life and Arrival. Which is with, the movie. Which is action. the movie. With Interstellar. Because one thing that's really cool that I think that, that Ted Chang does, um, he yeah, there's like physics in it and there's aliens. But one of the most integral parts of, of, of the whole story is the science of language. Mm-hmm. And like he approaches language in such a new way that it's like it almost defines the book without his understanding of language. You can have all the science you want, but the mystery wouldn't be solved in the end, you know? Yeah. And that's kind of what I was speaking to when I was saying, you know, it can be so broad or yeah. it can be so niche. And that story, which, you know, we'll talk a lot about next episode, is so niche, but it really opens up your understanding of this person and of humanity. So I think it just depends on. Um, the science fiction that you're writing. And I think like if you study science fiction and how it's evolved, um, there's a turning point. Uh, so Le Guin's novel, Left Hand of Darkness, mm-hmm. it was published the same year as the Apollo 11 mission. Oh, wow. And uh, she talks about how um, once we landed on the moon, science fiction authors were free to stop describing the future and to start imagining it. Um, so I would love to see a data visualization of, you know, the types of stories that were published, like, you know, up until that point And then after that point, how we've really um, exploded into just like so many different like sub genres and different types of science fiction. Well, and that 
move from description of the future to the imagination of the future, it really grounds it personally. And I think that's kind of the genius of really good science fiction is like, just to bring it back to Interstellar, like, like to talk about that black hole and how like seven years pass on Earth for every hour on that planet, you know that conceptually, but like when he goes back and sees all of those messages from his family and he's like sobbing because he's missed like the birth of his granddaughter and all this thing, Murph, his daughter won't talk to him anymore. That's, that's imagination. That's just not description. The description there was saying like theoretically this would happen, but then the experience of it is so much more personal. Yeah, Yeah, it is. It is. So that kind of brings up this sort of elephant in the room that this, this genre is so broad and we've talked about some of the conventions already, but how broad is the genre and what are some of the main categories of subgenres? Yeah, so that's not a quickly answered question. That's what um, we asked. <laughs> so um, I liked what you were talking about before um, when you said maybe at the highest level, because again, these are all things that are subjective and like you could draw a diagram to categorize this, but this would you know just be an interpretation. Yeah. Um, is there is hard science fiction and soft science fiction. So in a hard science fiction, that will be your Robert Heinleins who are like, you can if you break the laws of physics, like you can't, like it has to be theoretical with a good explanation, you know, so. Um, it has to be airtight. Very airtight, um, you know, and I think, you know, maybe that's the perception of science fiction for people who don't read a lot of it is that it's going to be like reading a textbook and before, you know, before you get to the story, which, um, you know, then some people love that. I mean, I've read some science fiction novels that have, you know, physics equations in them. And I honestly just gloss at that point. So I, I don't have the math for this. You know? <laughs> exactly. And and um, there's almost like I, when I was reading, I, I read it described as a game where, um, you know, the author is trying his damnedest not to make a mistake and the readers are trying their damnedest to find a mistake. <laughs> Exhausting. <laughs> I have no desire to write that. Yeah. So you know that's that's one side of it. Um. And then there's the soft science fiction, which is just like, um. You know, Star Wars are fit in there. Like, you know, could we have a lightsaber one day? Maybe, but like they arrange the world in such a way that it's like you believe that they could. You there's know, a lot of hand waving. How's this work? Crystals. Yeah, like, you know. quantum something. <laughs> you know, force. exactly. And the force, something like the force, where it's like you know, midichlorians. They tried to like really quantify it, like you were saying before. They they try to make it sci-fi e, but it also kind of feels fantasy e. Yeah. Um, so you maybe could like you know kind of categorize everything in those in those two buckets. Space science fiction, you know, and you can have hard, your hard space science fiction like The Martian or your soft like Star Wars. Um, there's a couple buckets even just within that. Um, there's aliens, you know, and then even within aliens, there's like first contact stories. Arrival. Exactly. There's military science fiction and you could have like even, you know, you could use a fantasy term and call it like second world military science fiction where you don't even go to Earth. Old man's war. Old man's where I would say like it starts on Earth, but, you know, then it goes you know, to those secondary planets. Um, there's dying Earth um, apocalyptic where it's like, you know, we have to have Genesis ships and leave because we've ruined the planet. You know, it could be climate fiction. It's uh, good to be about that time. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's that's just, you know, the future, alternate future stuff. And then even outside of just space, there's generally like technology where we don't even have to go to space, but you can have really hard science fiction in here about like virtual reality, robots. Um, I would say even time travel stories could fit into like the technical. Um, I read Mike Chen's Here and Now and Then earlier this year, which is really great. Um, and it, I would say it's it's very like technical, like, you know, there's an explanation of how we travel to the future and how I can email back in time and, and, and things like that. Um, but, you know, there's also really soft 
like tech focused science fiction, I would say um, Ready Player One fits you know, into that. You know, it's very like virtual reality. I would even say that's like a cyberpunk book. It has, so. it's very different from Neuromancer, for example, but it has a lot of the same um, like tropes just done very differently. It's, it's a good example of how two things can be so different. Um, then you'll have the uh, dystopian or social commentary. That's, you know, when the world is falling apart, that's when we really start to look at, you know, why it is the way it is. Um, so that's when you have some slightly different apocalyptic ones. Um, some people will even categorize, like, the Hunger Games. That's science fiction more so than it is fantasy. Yeah. It's, There's no magic powers, you know. Um, it's all the tech and how we use it. and dystopian. Yeah, about the yeah. structure of the world. Um, or even like some alternate universe stuff like, um, the city in the middle of the night, uh, Charlie Jean Anders. It's, it's very much like no one ever said this was earth. It's not earth. It's another planet. And yeah. you know, the, it's tidally locked and it works very Yeah, that's on the, there's like the band that there's like twilight and then it's yeah most of the planet's dark and the other half is light. Exactly. Like, yeah. Exactly. I always um, was so enamored with that sort of setting. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and also in that same category, you could do alternate history or alternate reality. The, the the world is sort of like our world, but then it's like people can fly also for some reason. Alternate history is really interesting because I think it's one of the only genres that can equally be split with fantasy and science fiction. So alternate history, like like what if it was World War II with dragons or what if it was World War II with aliens? Like yeah, it's the yeah. same sort of set pieces, just they've changed the sort of aesthetic. Exactly. Um, and then the last uh, categories I'll give you were the kind of mix, yeah. which is like the the punks, like cyberpunk, steampunk. You know, I think um, that's where a lot of alternate history comes in. Yeah. Like I'm thinking of like Scott Westerfield's Leviathan. Yeah. That's steampunk and biopunk somehow at the same time. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. very cool. Um What's interesting with 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 steampunk is that I mean, it's another one of those ones like alternate history where depending on how you make your set pieces, it could be science fiction or fantasy, and how how into the science of steam you want to go. Exactly. So you've kind of talked about a little bit of this exponential expanding of the genre. What I mean, you talked about the moon landing, but is there anything else that kind of culturally, how have we gotten to this point where science fiction now is some of the top grossing movies was Marvel and was um, James Cameron's Avatar. How are we so enamored with that setting? But also like the books seem to be lagging a little bit, wouldn't you yeah. say sales wise? Well, um, so from the data that I read, you know, science fiction books don't sell as well, even as, you know, nothing sells better than romance books, you know, and then, you know, mystery books would be ahead of the science fiction books too. And I think it's just when you're reading something, it's, it can be more dense. It can be a little less accessible. You know, it depends on the style of the book, but I would say the reason that science fiction has taken off so much more in film because uh, I think it's something like six of the ten highest-grossing films of all time are science fiction movies. Is Gotta love the representation. <laughs> I, I know. Um, I think it's because of our own advancements in technology and the spectacle of special effects. We want to go see the dinosaurs. That's amazing. Thanks, Michael Bay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We want to see it explode. Like it's so entertaining to be able to literally see like people fly, mm -hmm. and I think like that's just very appealing to a mass audience. Whereas like. You know, as we saw, the you know the physics explanations in stories of your life is not exactly what it's it doesn't have the same spectacle. You know, yeah, it's I mean, there's a diagram of the um, what's the light effect that he, yeah, like how light knows where it's going, but it's not sentient. So how does it know? You yeah, know, he, yeah. He's, he's he illustrated that with a graph, but like a graph is great and well and fine and good. I'd much rather 
see some like some Adobe uh, CC particle world like fun <laughs> fun stuff being refracted <laughs> like yeah um, so I want to make sure we, we uh, make some room to talk specifically about uh, the different subgenres and, and different conventions and yeah, in actually, different subgenres but also in science fiction overall um, because you might think like well if it's so broad like can we even study like science fiction as a whole or do we have to just study like subgenre by subgenre? I'd say kind of both. Yeah, <laughs> I think possible. it is. I think it is kind of both. So I just was like kind of thinking about um, some examples of like um, specific like themes and tropes. Um, and I think for science fiction as a whole, one of the th- what the readers are looking for in, in like this idea of setting expectations that we talked about before yeah. is um, I think when you're thinking about your science fiction story, of course, you have to know, like kind of like Sanderson's Law, all the rules. How does it work? Do, does the reader understand? But I also think that the world itself has to play an integral role in the plot. So it can't just be a, a background piece. Exactly. Um, so, for example, um, you know, you're familiar probably of the concept of Chekhov's blaster. If you introduce a gun in the first act, that's a promise. The gun is going to fire by the third act. Yeah. Um, and in a science fiction world, um, I've seen it called Chekhov's egg or you could call it Chekhov's blaster. So like with the egg, it's like if you introduce an egg, we're going to find out like what's inside of it. That's the whole plot of Alien. <laughs> exactly. Um, but, you know, it, it comes across in different ways, too. So like I mentioned um, Ready Player One before, like there's this whole scene where he finds a coin and you kind of forget about it. But if he, that never if nothing ever happened to that coin, you'd be like, well, what's the point of it? Yeah. And I won't spoil the book, but like. It plays a key role, you know, Um, and if you didn't see that coming, then you weren't paying attention. Um, And I would also say like the journals in Annihilation, you know Mm -hmm. that she's going to find her husband's journal. See, I I didn't even like anticipate that, but it makes sense in retrospect that, of course, she finds her husband's journal. The whole book is about her and him and their relationship and how she's like really confused about just read it. Yeah. And and the (laughs) thing is, like, you know. As a as a person who analyzes and loves stories, as a writer, you're probably going to start ruining like books and movies for yourself because you'll read the first like third of the book and then you should be able to sit and think to yourself, okay, the book won't end until X happens. Right. You'll be able to know even if you don't know how it happens, but like to some extent, you should be able to spoil the story for yourself. Um, another overarching through science fiction trope is um, I like to call it this idea of escalation. Yeah. So maybe you'll see this in like a dystopian novel. So like 1984 as a classic example, we learn that at first, as he works in like the information ministry, oh, a few things are lies, but more things are lies or more things are lies or more things are lies. So how do you say um, and, and then we see that in recursion, too. It's like, oh, we can focus on like one specific memory. But what happens when that gets really, really bad? I mean, Jurassic Park is like this, too. We'll just make like, oh, the egg is hatching. It's a miracle. But then what about the T-Rex? You know what I mean? The velociraptors always scared me more than the T-Rex anyway. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, when I was like three years old, I pulled the tape out of that movie because I didn't want my brother to watch it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> what a mom move. I know. Right? <laughs> I mean, I then like ate the tape, too. So maybe not. Well, maybe maybe. <laughs> Um, And then one more that I'll just talk about, um, and and this is one that you can see um, in fantasy, too, is just like this idea of an outsider travels into the world. And because everyone has to stop and explain things to them um, or they have to learn things as they go, that's how you as the reader um, experience the world. So that's um, the case in a memory called Empire. She comes from, you know, the outside the system into the Taxgalani Empire and she has to learn how everything works. Yeah, that's actually like textbook genre advice 
advice for fantasy is like yeah. give your character a sidekick who's just clueless well, so they how, can ask the question exactly that's how they do it in uh, in a mystery so like Sherlock Holmes is a genius but his stories wouldn't work if he didn't have Dr. Watson because he has to go and explain it to this idiot I mean Dr. Who is like that too that's why the doctor has a companion and then you know you can dive a little bit deeper and and you know we've carefully picked our book list to um you know discuss like certain tropes within um subgenres but i would say that there are certain things that you know you can play with and like play with those expectations in like in the space stories for example um i already mentioned the idea of like a generation ship yeah. you know we're going to be sailing across the world to find a new one and you know multiple people um that will be like adrian Chekhov's children of time you know amazing book recently and it plays off of this is idea not to bring up 2020 <laughs> but do you think that as we at least in america i'm not going to speak to like to other cultures do you think that we'll ever get to a point where we can get enough people on board to say okay we're going to put you 900 people on a generation ship you're not going to make it to the planet and your grandkids aren't going to but their grandkids will do you think we'd ever be able to fill that ship up i mean we might fill the ship up but you're gonna have to like carefully select (laughs) i like i i mean because are we not already on a generation ship like how is earth i mean you've been to disney like that's (laughs) like that's why it's like that's the whole point of the ride, you know? <laughs> yeah. It was just, it's, just, it's just an interesting thought experiment to me. Like, anyway, it doesn't matter. No, that's <laughs> already ahead. cool. Uh, what was I doing? I was listing the tropes in space. Um, yeah, go ahead. The, so the space ancient tropes. astronauts, like, you know, the aliens are astronauts or, you know, um, cryo sleep faster than light travel. These are all like ideas that we're familiar with. Sure. Um, in technical science fiction, there's sentient AI, there's um, uploaded consciousnesses. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, you have infinite time paradoxes. But then even within time travel stories, you have the different types of time travel. So like a fixed timeline, a dynamic timeline, an alternate reality time. Like there's just like there's so much that yeah. like, you know, if you're if you want to write a book, you just have to find out what's out there to just like get inspired you know um and then in dystopia we see like slavery versus and or poverty um oppression and revolution um the gladiatorial games occur several times you know in in really popular books so there's just um it's i mean we could do one podcast about one subgenre yeah a whole year on one subgenre really now you didn't mention utopia have you seen i i know i have a friend who is a pretty prominent book reviewer for Publishers Weekly and and Blue Ink. And he's always talking about how he wants to see more utopian books. Why do you think that that hasn't kind of happened? You know, I I was trying to uh, sell my book um, last year and uh, had an agent tell me like, you know, your book is good, but why are you trying to sell a a dystopia right now? And it's just like, it's not what we want. So, I mean, you know, if, if you've got that utopian book in your trunk it might be a good time to dust it off I, I just think i'm not sure what it is about the human condition and, and cynicism and how we're just like so fascinated by that i wouldn't just be su- watch things fall apart <laughs> yeah but I, I just wouldn't be surprised if we see a swing toward utopianism in the next um few years we we haven't really seen that recently i just can't even see how that would work if there's no conflict you like, would have to find it would have to be a Trying to build a utopia, maybe not what you've realized, but trying to build the utopia. But usually when you try to build the utopia, it's like turns out it's Thanos or something like that. You know what I mean? Karl Marx. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, but I think there's I think that, you know, uh, there's there's got to be a way to do it. So uh, that that will be our spinoff podcast where we plan a utopia novel together. Yeah, you're going to do that by yourself. (laughs) (laughs) So um, we've talked a lot about like high concept sort of stuff. Um. 
Let's talk about what science you actually need for science fiction. And like, let's talk to the high school graduates right now, because clearly millions of them are listening to this. <laughs> millions. Um, so I, I think the question I want to ask is there are certain aspects of pop culture that seem to fascinate us. Mm -hmm. What's the relationship of pop culture to the real science of science fiction? And how much science do you actually need? Like, do you need a physics degree to write science fiction? Like, yeah, that's a that's a great question. Um, well, so I actually found like actual studies about, um, you know, science fiction readers. So the people who are just like really voracious, like love this genre. Um, and so there's a study out of James Cook University in uh, Queensland. And they found that people who um, identified as science fiction fans, science fiction, not book fans, um, they were more likely to be lifelong readers than people who, uh, you know, fell in love with books through a different genre. There was another aspect of the study where they looked at the relationship between how science fiction readers perceived actual scientists and scientific findings versus people who didn't. And there was a slight trend toward trusting science and being accepting of, you know, emerging science if you were someone who consumed science fiction regularly. So for me, something that I really love about science fiction to kind of come full circle is this idea that science fiction is the perfect intersection of science and the humanities. So it's interesting to think about us as a society and to consider how are we going to adapt to change because change is inevitable and yeah. you know change often comes out of new technologies and the sciences um because I, I read a quote recently that just says like any change whether it's change for good or change for bad is loss we're going to lose something as as we change and so like that's hard for people as individuals and as communities and as societies to adjust to. And there's a, a really good quote from Neil Gaiman, who uh, gave a speech where he talks about fiction in general, but he also talks about science fiction in particular. And he says that it's a genre that illustrates to us that the world doesn't have to be like this. It can be different. So maybe we should start writing about the utopias, like you're saying. <laughs> um, but, to, but to answer your question about, um, you know, how much science do you need to have or, or know, it's not a good idea to write a science fiction book without researching your topic. I've read some really boring computer science books in the past uh, couple months as I've been working on my cyberpunk book. But I think you also have to embrace that, you know, you're not supposed to actually like technically execute this you know so there's there's right. a point where you have to stop and i think that it's hard because like the research can feel like a, a deep black hole but i think that there's also a process of like learning how to research and realizing when you're going off the rails and, and when to come back and like process what you what you've learned but it's crucial because there's no substitute for inspiration from the real world and yeah. You'll get stuck when you don't know what to do with what you have. Like you don't understand the rules that you're you're working on. So I think there's an anecdote that Brandon Sanderson used in writing excuses about his friend Dan Wells, who was also on the podcast, and and how he would always write these high fantasy novels, yeah, but yeah. he would never shut up about serial killers. And Brandon's like, if you love serial killers, why don't you just write about that? So and so I mean, I, exactly. So he wrote a best-selling novel about serial killers, um, and you know, my boyfriend is getting tired of me talking about fiance. how my fiance, excuse me, he's getting tired about listening to me talk about how like Facebook is controlling your mind. And I was just like so obsessed with this idea that by 2050, there will be more dead people on Facebook than living people. And so I wrote a story about that. And, you know, that was uh, one that uh, was just published a few weeks ago. So it's just like, 
if you love something, just like let yourself nerd out and, and just write books about the things that you already love. Uh, flex on us for a second. Uh, so, so where was that published? Uh, that uh, book, it's called, sorry, that is a short story. It just came out from uh, Right Ahead, The Future Looms. It's called Social Cemetery. Awesome. And we can get that from the internet? Or? Um, they have a, a website, Right Ahead, The Future Looms. You can just yeah. search it and they have a Twitter account too. Awesome. I will recommend one more. Um, I'll plug. Um, so I have been a volunteer for the Flights of Foundry convention from Dream Foundry. And um, last year, there was a really good presentation by an author, TJ Berry, about how to research for your books. And that's on YouTube. You can just search TJ Berry, Flights of Foundry, and just listen to her talk about, um, she talks specifically about how to interview an expert, um, at, even if you're an introvert, you know, um, <laughs> really great research strategy. So I, I would highly recommend that. Awesome. Well, that was a lot of information for everybody. Um, so, I mean, Kathleen clearly knows what she's doing. <laughs> That's good. We'll, we'll see. We'll learn. <laughs> we'll learn. We'll see if the book gets published. We'll let you know. <laughs> so we have an exercise, actually, that I give to my students. It comes from Isaac Asimov's essay, Those Crazy Ideas. Basically, the exercise is to change one thing about the natural world, or in other words, your setting to a what-if statement. So what if the earth were tidally locked? I'm a huge fan of that one. Or what if the earth was not carbon-based, but instead it was a silicon-based world? How would that change what life looks like? Or you can do something like, like what if gravity was two times the amount that it was? Like, how would the world change? We don't have to know the why behind it at this point. It could be an undiscovered fact about the life cycle of, say, of our planet or the sun, perhaps an alien race mind something. It doesn't matter. The point is, is the thought experiment. And then extrapolate that what if to its natural end. How does it change the natural world? How does it change politics, culture, or society and intrapersonal relationships? Pat Rothfuss actually did this exercise on an episode of Writing Excuses and said, like, what if alchemy was real and you could actually turn any metal into gold? It wouldn't actually wreck our economy because we're not on a, like on the gold standard anymore, but it would wreck a lot of trust funds. Yeah. The whole power dynamic shifts because then the alchemists are the ones that control everything. Wealth. Re wealth, yeah. right? So if you want to write science fiction and you're not sure where to start, I found that to be a really great seed just trying to find an idea so kathleen yes i get to announce the books that yes, we're going why to be don't reading. you tell us the books we'll be reading for this cycle uh their genre and who they are written by yeah so uh we're very excited first to be reading stories of your life which is the basis for the movie arrival by ted chiang uh, that was our choice so that we could look at aliens first contact and, and that subgenre next we'll be reading altered carbon by richard k morgan because I wanted to do at least one cyberpunk book. Also noir. It yeah. is also noir. So we'll get to talk about that fun um, cross-genre uh, mix-up. Then we're going to be talking about The Martian by Andy Weir. Uh, that was our choice for uh, more hard science fiction. So survival we could, story you know, too, look at yeah. the survival story. I look at how that's done. Um, then we will be reading the most recent Hugo winner, A Memory Called Empire by Arkady Martin. That's our space opera, actually. And finally, we'll be reading Recursion by Blake Crouch. That's our alternate reality slash time travel book. You know, I, I'm really excited to look at stories of your life. I thought it was a really great story in general. It's actually a novella. It's not, it's not a full novel, but it's got a novel's worth of character development in about 20,000 words, which is great. And is, is, is there one that you're excited about talking about right now? Um, they're all really great books, and I'm a cheater because I've already read all of them. <laughs> but I'm very excited for A Memory Called Empire because I think um, it has like at least Star Wars' level of world building in it and wow. just 
just like culture. Um, so I'm very excited to reread all of these books that I read earlier. And then next cycle, you can cheat and pick books that you've already read. Well, it's mystery next cycle. Yes, it is. I haven't read that many mysteries, so... We're going to learn. Here we go. I've exposed myself as a fraud. So <laughs> we we going to learn. So, all right. That about wraps it up. Yeah. You've been listening to The Archetypist. If you'd like to support us, you can head on over to our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash archetypist. Our next episode will kick off our journey into the science fiction genre. Upcoming novels include Story of Your Life by Ted Chiang and Altered Carbon by Richard K. Morgan. To follow along with the rest of our book list, search Archetypist on Goodreads under the People tab. For questions, advertising inquiries, or to schedule an author interview, please email us at archetypistpodcast at gmail.com. And as always, stay positive, stay safe, and stay connected. Archetypists, out!